welcome to the Most Sports Podcast, number 77, for the 7th of February, 2022, Dixie Bricks, with your host, Dr. David Overby. Hello, listener. This is Dr. Dave Overby, and I'm your host for the Most Sports Podcast. This is the Most Sports Podcast, recorded on February the 7th, 2022. And the college basketball action just keeps getting better and better. Uh, the excitement is definitely there. A, a lot of really good teams, a lot of exciting games, a triple overtime game on Saturday and Arizona State pulling off the upset against UCLA, who has now lost two in a row, which has implications, of course, for Kentucky because uh, Kentucky has uh, come off that big win against Kansas with another big win, if not as spectacular, uh, but nonetheless impressive win in Tuscaloosa over the Crimson Slide, a slumping Alabama team. And then uh, earlier in the week, uh, dispatching with a pesky Vanderbilt team uh, that uh, played Kentucky a good game and then went on to beat uh, LSU, who now has fallen apart after uh, being one of the top teams in the country at an what point 15 and 1, which means who else from the Commonwealth has elevated into the rankings, into the top 25. That would be Murray State now at number 23 in the country. They are still undefeated in OVC play and rolling along. So congratulations to the racers and a team to keep an eye on. Uh, As always uh, for Murray State, when they seem to have one of these uh, really dominant teams in the OVC, um, Uh, Can they take care of business and uh, win that OVC tournament and get the automatic bid? Because uh, as many good teams as there are out there and as many teams is going to come from the SEC and the other Power Five conferences, as well as some emerging teams uh, out west, uh, Wyoming definitely uh, at the top of the list there where we're talking about the the peaks and the altitude, uh, what is rising, that would be the Cowboys of Wyoming of all people in in basketball but yes um they're a team to keep an eye on um but murray state uh you're not going to get an at-large bid uh being ovc team but murray state takes care of business and they get in the ncaa tournament uh they have definitely shown that they can win at least uh, a game so if the racers do make it the big story will be with them is can murray state uh the program that's had John Morant and Isaiah Cannon, Popeye Jones, Jeff Martin, Cameron Payne. I mean, these other uh, terrific players. Can they finally get to the second week of the NCAA tournament, make the Sweet 16, get a second win if they um, are fortunate enough to uh, win out the rest of the way uh, and secure the bid? So we're going to start out here with uh, the Crimson Slide and what is really wrong uh, with uh, slumping Alabama, and it's not that hard to look at uh, if you go straight to the three-point shooting, which Nate Oates' team uh, emphasizes. And, of course, <laughs> a 
what we have to say, first of all, with Kentucky's uh, 66-55 to 55, uh, win over Alabama and Tuscaloosa is the Crimson Tide went 3 of 30 from three-point range, and you do not have to be a statistician to know that that's 10%, and you don't have to be an expert on basketball to know that that's terrible. And so the problem, obviously, with Oates this year is that the personnel that he's put together does not match up for the style that you want to play, and this is what really stands out. Alabama leads the SEC in three-pointers attempted per game, but is 14th in three-point percentage. Like, you definitely don't want to see that. If you're attempting a lot of three-pointers, you have to be a really good three-point shooting team. That's the idea. Like, they can really shoot if they really are at best functional at all of the other aspects of the game. The one thing that we know our guys can do is we can shoot. Now think about what Alabama had last year. They had Shackelford and Quinterly, right? And those guys were mixed in with John Petty, who could light it up, and this guy, uh, Joshua Primo, who was good enough to be a one-and-done and be in the NBA now, and he was a point guard who could really shoot. Petty could really shoot before Nate Oates uh, got there and just got better. I mean, had that game where I think he made eight straight three-pointers and a big road win against uh, Arkansas. So that emphasis on taking a lot of threes will work if – Get this, you have a team that can shoot, but Alabama can't shoot. And I just think one of the things that uh, it looked like with uh, Shackelford and, and Quinterly, who were uh, combined over 10 uh, from three-point range, is they just looked exhausted because it just seems like the onus is really on them to keep night after night making lots and lots of threes. Um why? Because the rest of them just can't shoot at all. And to look at how god-awful that uh, percentage is, that three-point shooting percentage, again, 26.5%, .265. That's 14th in SEC play, yet they lead the league in attempts. Right? That's definitely inverted, and you're being inflexible, Nato, as a coach, if you're just clearly seeing your team can't shoot, but you keep shooting this many. I mean, you're playing right into the hands of your opponent. The opposing coach just has to sit there and be like, yeah, they're just doing, clang, here we go, brick. Um, even still, though, from the vantage point of Kentucky, is can you rely on a team like Alabama going 3 of 30 or Texas A&M in their place going 1 of 22? <laughs> So that's a combined four of 52, right? That's 7.7%. That's how good Kentucky's three-point defense has been. And they're doing it with these teams shooting at home. But can you realistically expect in the NCAA tournament that that's how it's going to be? And I think not. Because, one, when you start advancing, it means your opponent is advancing. And definitely teams that are advancing in the NCAA tournament have figured something out. They're playing well. They're playing at least solid on offense. And sometimes they're in a groove, right? They're they're sharing the basketball. They're getting good shots and good looks, and the threes are going down. Uh, think about, if you're a Kentucky fan, that 1998 Kentucky team when they really got rolling on the threes in postseason play. Um, so... The way that that game in Tuscaloosa went was this. Like, Alabama shot 3 of 30, again, 10% from three-point range, and yet Kentucky only outscored Alabama by three points from three-point range because Kentucky only made four themselves. 
So uh, Kentucky is third in the SEC in three-point defense. And they're first. Congratulations. Like, we're finally not just a horrible shooting team like Kentucky was uh, last year. And uh, guess what? That's what can happen when you actually put an emphasis on three-point shooting. It was clearly a priority right away to snatch up uh, Grady as the moment his eligibility was done at Davidson. It's like, well, we know he can shoot. Get him in there. And it's made Kentucky a better offensive team. And because Kentucky's better on offense, that's why they were able to go into Lawrence and rack up uh, 80 points, have him down 24 points with uh, three minutes to go. And if you want to be a champion, you have to be a good offensive team, right? It cannot just be all about defense. Um, But in terms of of makes, uh, Kentucky is actually getting outscored in conference play 1.5 points per game on three-pointers because Kentucky surrenders 6.83s a game and they make only 6.3. So they are efficient but not productive. And so, again, looking toward the tournament, and this is not to take anything away from the tremendous strides that Kentucky's made since last year, the very promising outlook that we do have for the Kentucky Wildcat basketball team uh, as we get into the middle of of February and then the excitement and anticipation of of, uh, March Madness, which Kentucky fans missed out on last year, uh, is definitely uh, going to build. It is a fair question to say, um, is Kentucky going to be productive enough from three-point range, and can they really expect uh, their opponent to be as bad as... Alabama and Texas A&M were, right? The concern being that if they run into a team that is feeling it and then uh, Kentucky's not able to really do much better than the uh, 6.3 three-pointers per game, um, they could really have a big deficit from behind the three-point line. And then the emphasis on the two-pointers and the free throws uh, that becomes problematic because um, the uh, low number of points that you're getting on these scores uh, causes you to really need to dominate, um, especially in the paint, for example, and getting more free throw attempts. You have to anticipate that in a tournament game on a neutral floor, uh, the free throws aren't going to be heavily in the direction of one team or another, as might be in the case with a road game. Say, just for example, I don't know, Knoxville, where you know Tennessee is always uh, shooting lots of free throws. Also, Auburn, maybe not so bad last time, but what was that two years ago when they shot, I think, 40 free throws? Wow, or more than that. Um, so... Um, What's going to happen? Uh, can that good uh, three-point defense for Kentucky uh, maintain? And um, will the Wildcats need to be uh, more productive uh, from behind the three-point line uh, as we get into the final weeks of SEC play and then postseason play? But one thing that we can be excited about that has emerged as a new dimension is uh, the play of uh, Damian Collins. And it may be uh, Damian Collins and not Tom Collins, but uh, he is certainly adding some chemistry uh, to the Kentucky play. Or the the uh, showing that Damian Collins had uh, exemplifies the good chemistry uh, that this Kentucky team uh, has developed. In fact, there was one moment when 
Collins was running the floor and uh, Washington threw a lob from uh, behind half court and it wound up going off of the backboard and uh, being a turnover. And then at the next dead ball, when the players were going to the huddle on the sideline, uh, Collins and Washington and uh, Coach John Calipari all had smiles on their faces and they were talking to one another and it was all good. Like they understood what was happening. Collins understood. Yeah, Washington was saying, I'm actually throwing this to you. That's why you're in the game. We're going to lob it to you. You're going to run down there and jump over everyone and, and dunk it. I mean, and if Collins can just learn to be a little more ferocious and aggressive, um, then uh, he could uh, really be a force uh, on the inside. Uh, he had the lob uh, dunks uh, twice against Alabama. Uh, still has some work to do in terms of being able to make any kind of a move to score. We saw that when he tried to take it to the basket, and it wound up being a um, either a, a jump ball or he may have been called for an offensive foul. Wound up uh, falling down, which he's got to stop doing. Uh, you got to learn how to stay on your feet. Uh, on the basketball court with all the physical play going on. And there there have been a lot of bodies on the floor in basketball games all across the country, and that's just a testament to the high energy, uh, the great uh, passion. Uh, college basketball, best sport in the world. It, it, it really is. So the fact that the players have a limited time to play and the connection between uh, the team and and the fans between uh, the team and the place and the, the university, the alum who have gone there, and with the general basketball-loving uh, public, uh, basketball uh, is my favorite sport, as, as the uh, song goes. Basketball is our favorite sports here at the Most Sports Podcast, and we want to say thank you again for listening, and we hope you're doing well. Uh, staying uh, healthy and enjoying this exciting college basketball season. Also, the Olympics, of course, starting in Beijing, uh, Winter Games uh, 2022. The big story there, uh, Camila Valieva, 15-year-old uh, uh, in the women's Olympic skating, lands two quads, uh, two four-time rotations in midair before uh, landing. And she did it a third time, but didn't have the successful landing, but still uh, won the uh, free skate, I do believe, uh, was the category. So congratulations to her. She is a uh, phenom uh, prodigy, an amazing uh, skater, an incredible uh, artist and athlete uh, out there. So uh, we wish her well. We wish all the athletes well. Uh, the early Olympics have been great. The early, uh, the opening ceremony uh, was wonderful. Wonderful uh, graphic uh, exhibition, uh, beautiful colors and lighting. So uh, congratulations uh, to everyone who was involved in the opening ceremony uh, presentation there in Beijing. Um, and to the uh, Chinese for putting on a, a terrific show and opening. Uh, always so wonderful and educational to see all of those people from the different countries uh, coming out. You can learn a little bit about uh, the country, their uh, geography, their uh, their dress, their, their custom. Uh, and it just reminds you of how big and vast uh, the world is and uh, how rich and um, wide-ranging and diverse uh, humanity is. Um, 
But anyway, to go back to the college basketball, we do have to emphasize uh, if you're Nate Oates, you have to get the, and you want to shoot a lot of threes, man. You've got to stock up on the players who can light it up so you don't have this kind of thing happening where 33s per game, uh, really, I mean, 31, and you're uh, shooting 26%, uh, 26.5%, right? That's definitely being rigid and. Uh, not matching up your recruiting style, your recruiting strategy, um, and with your style of play. Um, but here's an explanation for why, besides the fact that this year the SEC is a beast, it is the best conference in college basketball, and it is very hard right now to make any good case for saying that Kentucky and Auburn won't both be in the Final Four. And uh, we definitely did not expect to be saying that um, even a month ago. Probably the Tennessee game was the first game that uh, could actually get you thinking about it, uh, racking up the 107 points. It's like, wow, that uh, against Tennessee, like a team that definitely plays defense, that 107-79 win. Uh, and then uh, – and really the loss at Auburn – with Washington going down, um, you can't really say, well, because they lost that game, they can't make the Final Four. I mean, Auburn's number one in the country. Now, Auburn, here's an interesting thing. I mean, they're winning. They're 22-1, and one, but they barely – they had a one-point win against Missouri, and they had, they had to pull out at the buzzer, come back from down two, and win – 74 to 72 against a Georgia team that I think has only won six games. <laughs> and it's great to say, yeah, we're winners and we know how to win and all, but I mean, you're cutting it real close against some teams that are not very good, which suggests that while uh, Auburn has all the pieces, right, to be a Final Four team, that they're still, that they're not dominant. Right, they're really, really good. They do know how to win. They've got good players. They have all the ingredients. They've got the big man, the slick, quick point guard who can shoot the threes. They've got Katie Johnson, the leader, the guy that can drive it and shoot it. Uh, they've got uh, wing players galore who can score and and defend. They play with a lot of uh, energy, attack mode, right? Um, but they're not really uh, dominating. Certainly the way that you would be thinking that game against Georgia would have gone, they would have gone there and it would have been a blowout. And uh, really, Georgia had that game won, but they're just, uh, they can't put it together this season. So um, maybe Tom Crean can get it together. He is a Final Four coach. It's been a while. Uh, but uh, I think uh, it's been a rough year for Georgia. There's just no no getting around it. But with with Nate Oates, so the SEC is really tough, but what explains the Crimson Slide, right? With Alabama was all the rage. They were strutting into conference play after a dominating win over against Zaga in Seattle. Well, get this. The season numbers for Alabama are still off. They're lopsided in terms of the percentage and the number of three-pointers taken, like, too much of a disparity, right? You're attempting too many and your percentage isn't good enough. Like if you're going to take this many, you've got to have a better percentage uh, than this. That That's what really makes it work. But still, the numbers were notably better, even if they weren't that great. Let's start with the percentage. 
on the season, the percent for Al- for uh, for Alabama on the year is thirty point five percent. That's a full four uh, points. Uh, that's a, a percent higher than the twenty six point five percent in conference play, right? But it's still a pretty bad percentage. If the idea is we're going to shoot a lot of threes, because it ranks three hundred and twenty fifth. Right in the country. Now, with the attempts twenty nine point seven, that's basically the same, right, as the thirty point nine. I mean, that's uh, very little difference at all, right? That's one fewer. That's ninth in the nation. It's first in the country. So, a very high number of attempts for the season and in conference play. But when it comes to makes on the season, the average is nine, right? That's forty fifth in the country. Nine, that's almost a full one better than the 8.2 in conference play, not making enough. So basically, they were skirting the edge pre, in the uh, pre-conference play when they were winning and when they had that big win uh, over uh, Gonzaga, right? You can also include a big uh, win over Houston, who is playing really well, and they're dominating their conference. They... Uh, went into Cincinnati and dominated the Bearcats. Um, But the problem that was emerging was is that the percentage was uh, too low for attempting as many threes as they had been. So what was going to happen is they were either going to get it together, right? The shot selection was going to improve. Maybe the attempts go down and the percentage goes up. Or what, what happened is uh, everything fell apart for them. And I think that basically what happened is opposing coaches figured out that the real three-point shooters for Alabama are Shackelford and Quinterly. If you take them out, you can let these other people shoot all day, and it's going to be Brick City. And that's what it was. It, they were the Dixie Bricks, uh, the, the Crimson Tide were down in Alabama. But anyway, Kentucky owed Alabama. Alabama beat Kentucky twice, beat them by 20 in Rupp last year. We can want to forget about that. So uh, there's some payback action going there. Ty Ty Washington came on strong in the Alabama game. Uh, he got a knocked down a three-pointer. Uh, he was in uh, double figures. Uh, but again, really, Damian Collins was the uh, the story of, of, of that game. And uh, as impressive as the dunks were, it was six for six on the free throws that re- really stood out for, for Collins. So no doubt John Calipari is going to shut this down for most sports, but one can't help but think, hmm, six for six on free throws, like he's got a good mid-range stroke, right? So maybe that would be another thing that he could do because um, one has to think it's not going to take, especially after the Alabama game, um, Collins isn't going to really be a secret weapon anymore. Uh, so rivalries are that are are dead is one of these has to be uh, North Carolina and Duke. And for some time now, who has really cared about that rivalry? It's it's just um, it isn't. Uh, you could argue that it's always been an overrated rivalry because on a national level doesn't really matter that much when you think about this. Every single year, the loser of the first game gets another shot, right, at the at the team. So you could say that a real rivalry is a situation where the teams only meet once. 
But that point notwithstanding, um, the fact that Krzyzewski has been at Duke for so long and the fact that uh, Roy Williams was uh, getting on in years and North Carolina was definitely in in, uh, decline before Williams finally stepped aside. I mean, a pretty steep decline after the 2017 uh, championship. Um, But so what happened on Saturday, 87 to 67, uh, complete domination of Duke over North Carolina. And one of the things that really makes um, a a rivalry nationally significant, right, is that both teams are really exciting and uh, of, of interest to basketball fans, right, and not just fans of these teams. So, yes, I'm sure that if you went to North Carolina or to Duke, and certainly that if you were ever able to get a ticket to one of these games, you would say, oh, you don't understand, it's incredible, it's amazing. But it's about what the, the energy of what the game does for everybody else, right, across the basketball land. And the games that are really popping right now are the West Coast games, right? Say anybody that saw USC and Arizona and uh, or saw the uh, Arizona-UCLA uh, game. I mean, these games out West uh, with these really good uh, Pac-12 teams, that's where there are rivalries emerging, we can say the same thing with uh, Kentucky Louisville. I mean, at this point, this game is not, and everybody knows it, as exciting as it was earlier uh, for two big reasons. Uh, the games between Kentucky and Louisville in the 80s and 90s were exciting because it was the renewal of the rivalry, and they hadn't played for a long time. So it was really exciting to see them play one another. Um, And this, of course, was all spurred on from meeting in the 1983 tournament and then uh, playing again in the uh, 1984 tournament uh, with Kentucky uh, winning after losing uh, the the previous year. Um, And then, of course, uh, as we get into the uh, zeros, what happens is we have uh, Rick Pitino coming to Louisville. Right in 2001, and so that really that uh, recharged the rivalry. Um, but for it to be a, a rivalry of national interest, both teams have to be really, really good, and there has to be some real intensity in the games between uh, the two teams. Now, granted, the uh, the last game in uh, in Louisville, which Louisville won was uh, a close win uh, for, for Louisville. I believe that was 62-59. Uh, to 59. And The previous year was a really thrilling game of, and an overtime win uh, for uh, Kentucky. But there are two factors to say that at this point um, that the rivalries are, are dead in the sense of that they just are not what they were. I'm talking about Kentucky, Louisville, and Duke and North Carolina. Uh, And with um, Kentucky-Louisville, for one thing, it's not the same now that Rick Pitino is not at Louisville. I think that both Louisville and Kentucky fans would acknowledge that. And then uh, the other thing is that on the whole, Kentucky has dominated the rivalry so much that since John Calipari has been there, that it isn't that uh, exciting 
any anymore. It's it's not all that that you're on edge and are we going to be able to pull it out. Uh, it doesn't mean that you take the win for granted, and it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be upsetting if you lose. But um, it's really been just so uh, one sided. But then this is all the more enhanced by two de- uh, developments this season, which is that for Kentucky, clearly now Kentucky's rival is Auburn because Auburn is number one in the country. Auburn's atop the SEC, and it was Auburn that beat Kentucky in the 2019 regional final, which of course has significance when you're thinking about who your rival is, right? That's the loss that stings. That's the team that... that uh, pisses you off and that it really means a lot to you to win and it's going to make you angry if you keep losing to them, right? And that's a rivalry. Uh, and that just isn't happening with uh, with Kentucky-Louisville anymore. The apex of the Kentucky-Louisville uh, rivalry and and then the, uh, the plateauing of it was that period from 2012 to 2014, with Kentucky winning in 2012, Louisville winning in 2013, and then Kentucky getting to the uh, national championship game before losing to Connecticut and being national runner-up in 2014. So both teams were great teams. They, they were champions, right? And then they also twice met in the NCAA tournament. And you had Patino coaching uh, for Louisville in both of those uh, games. So um, really to rekindle that is just not really seeming like it's going to happen with one, now Kentucky's rival seems to be Auburn, not Louisville. And two, Louisville has is broken. Louisville has fallen apart, right? It's like the, just like the fried chicken or, uh, arena, there's a leak. I mean, it's just broken. It's in need of repair. And it doesn't have the feel that it's right on the edge of something that's just going to uh, roar back. That might happen um, with uh, another uh, uh, program. Uh, but certainly with the way that, I mean, Chris Mack, I mean, everything just went wrong with him going with the Dino Guadio scandal. And then they were uh, had early success in the Bahamas, but then Mack returns and then um, they were uh, flat so often would be the way to describe them, um, and uh, just uh, and and not and not playing well. Um, so and then another team uh, that um, um, well, just to finish the point with regard to these uh, to these rivalries, um, they're definitely uh, not what they were. They weren't the the uh, the top line. They're no longer the marquee rivalries of college basketball that they that they were. The heyday of these rivalries is 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 over, um, and really the West has emerged as really the um, energy realm for uh, college basketball, and just the to the way that USC and Arizona. Um, uh, game win. I think that's where the, the the emerging rivalries are. And if we want to talk about Kentucky, uh, I think that no doubt about it. Like that's the Kentucky is is you know fixed on Auburn. And there's if Kentucky's going to uh, get another national uh, national championship, and boy, wouldn't that be um, an amazing story? And why not go ahead and do it this year? 
most likely it means uh, that they'll meet Auburn again. And boy, wouldn't that be like a great time uh, to pay uh, to pay them uh, back for what happened in that regional final in uh, 2019. We want to invite you again to uh, come to our Most Sports Podcast Facebook page and give a big shout out and a big thanks to our friends and colleagues at the IFPR studios in Louisville, Kentucky. Again, this is your host, Dr. Dave Overby. Stay well, and you've been listening to the Most Sports Podcast. Find Dr. Overby's extended game analysis and philosophical ponderings on Facebook at facebook.com slash mopod.mosports. On Twitter, we're at mosportso. And there's a poorly upkept webpage of episodes at psychicreform.com slash mosports. But we don't recommend relying on it. The webmaster is lazy. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or the RSS feed available at all the places. Join us next week for another installation of the Most Sports Podcast, your source for intelligent analysis of sports. Sporty sports sports. sports.